when I when I do that, like the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, and I get like these chills. When I started in fraud, fraud fighters were typically ex-policemen. Let me go way back to before you were born and tell you what it was like. Bill, 30 years ago, that's exactly how I started, right? I absolutely hated it. I really hated it until it's too late for a company, right? Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the new episode of the podcast, A Journey into Fraud Prevention. I'm your host, Ivan, and today is our last episode of the first season. I believe I shouldn't present our guest because he is well known in the industry. Our guest today is Frank McKenna. We begin our episode. Поехали! Hi, everyone. Uh, and uh, hi, Frank. Thank you for joining us today. I have a lot of questions. And um, usually I'm starting all my episodes with the same question. Uh, probably a short one, but I don't believe it's going to be short based on your experience. Fraud prevention. <laughs> what is fraud prevention for you? Oh, yeah. Well, it's great to be here. I love, you know, talking about fraud and, and uh, you know, fraud prevention is... To me, uh, when I describe fraud prevention, I, I really describe it in kind of the structure of a fraud department like I'm used to. Um, fraud prevention is one of three pillars, one of three activities that most companies, how they organize around fraud. So there's fraud prevention, there's fraud detection, and then there's fraud recovery. And fraud prevention is the very, very first set of activities that a company is going to do to stop fraudsters from getting in the door. Um, if the fraudster gets in the door, then they're going to use fraud detection. So software and processes to, to stop the fraud as soon as it gets in the door. And if unfortunately the fraudsters are able to commit the fraud and steal money, then that's fraud recovery. So fraud prevention for me, it, basically means doing everything you can from a people and a process and a technology perspective to keep the fraudsters away. So if you're a company, whether you're a merchant or you're a card issuer or a bank, fraud prevention is all about making yourself the worst target for fraudsters that you can be. So that is meaning, what that means is that you're going to have really strong technology in, in place that's going to be something that fraudsters talk about. And they say, well, we're not going to go out and hit this bank because we know that we can never get any money from them. The fraud prevention is, to me, is all about the people, training people in the company. So when they recognize a fraud, whether it's a fraudster calling in or a fraudster logging in online, that they can recognize that and stop the fraudster before they get in the door. So that fraud prevention aspect is probably the most important piece of fraud. So for me, that what it means is putting a, a strong lock on the door. I guess you could say that's what it means to me. Well, that's, um, it's exactly aligned with what I thought in general about uh, all aspects of fraud prevention. I know it's different variation and uh, right now it's a plenty of different titles, not all of them calling fraud prevention, some of them calling trust and safety, but yeah. It, it's the same thing. Trust and safety is fraud prevention, right? It's everybody's kind of following the same path and it's always the same thing. You know, when you're going to set up a fraud function, it's always prevention is the very first thing. You got to get that right or everything else fails. 
you know, I, I just feel that uh, uh, sometimes uh, companies uh, call it uh, differently rather than fraud prevention, specific in areas where they're still calling customers to know to not create this kind of effort on the customers when you say hello my name is Ivan I'm from from fraud prevention department you know you already kind of uh, try to create labels uh, for the person that it might be something wrong uh, rather than you call yeah right. I'm from trust and safety so <laughs> that's right so maybe it's a a way not to alarm the customer so you use another friendlier term that makes them feel like you're keeping them safe that's actually a good point. I didn't even realize that, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I checked your profile. You have been in fraud industry for more than 30 years, and uh, you started when I born in 1990. <laughs> what changed in the <laughs> wow. industry? Uh, oh, my gosh. That's a good question. Man, what hasn't changed? So, yeah, let me go way back to before you were born and tell you what it was like. It was so simple back in 1990 when I started in fraud. I'm going to take credit card fraud, for example. That's Credit card fraud is one of the oldest frauds out there. In the 1990s, credit cards were becoming really popular. And credit card fraud and check fraud, meaning when somebody wrote a check, those were pretty much the only two types of fraud that a fraud manager or a fraud analyst like me had to worry about. So... I was really doing something very simple, which was just calling customers, verifying their credit card activity, and they would tell me yes or no. And it was so easy back then. And credit card fraud at that time was only a $2 billion a year problem globally. Now it's 15 times that level. It's $30 billion in credit card alone. So the fraud losses have increased 15 times from when I started. And that's just one type of fraud. When, as, as you went into the you know late 90s and early 2000s, people started to use the internet. So you started to have a lot more different frauds like digital, internet, online fraud, e-commerce, merchant fraud. So then you had basically about five times as many frauds that fraud managers had to deal with. And then when you go into 2010, 2015, everything went to like instant payments. So you had Zelle and you had Venmo and you had all these instant real-time payment platforms. And that just made the fraud manager's job even more complicated because they were dealing with, you know, 10 or 15 new types of fraud. And then with crypto and with all of the scams that are going on now, it has become a mountain of fraud for for the industry to handle. So uh, what hasn't changed, I guess, is a better question. Pretty much everything, it's infinitely more complex. There's there's substantially more fraud and there's a lot more technology that's being used to counter fraud. So it's been a complete change. I'm, I'm shocked at all the change in the last 30 years. I believe you still remember um, menus from uh, Visa or MasterCard when they were, I, I don't know, two pages. Right now it's 100. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's just one example. And if you're just getting into fraud, it can seem a little overwhelming, and it is. But back in when I started, it was very simple. Um, and like you said, it was very easy to understand. Now you have to be very technical. Now you have to really understand 
technology, people, psychology, how to communicate. It's it's an infinitely harder job. But in general, what remains the same, it's actually fraud part. It's only growing. However, it stays stable. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. And, and it's no science. It's going to be um, left. Oh, no. Yeah. So, no. No, I think if you... Now, if you have a, you're, you'll probably have a long career in fraud because you told me you liked it. And I think you're, if you like fraud and you love doing it, you can have your whole career. That's what I've done. Um, I've never deviated from it. But you will find when you look back in 20 years, you may be on a podcast telling somebody, a young guy, the same thing like that. Wow. You should remember back in 20, 2023 when we, you know, 20, whatever you started, maybe 2015, it was so simple. Now it's like way more fraud. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to being on this podcast in the 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. I would love to hear that that podcast and all the fraud that's going on in, in 20 years. Oh my God, I, I, can't on, I cannot really imagine what it's going to be, but yeah, already exciting. So we already know about fraud, uh, but... What about fraud fighters? Um, how have fraud fighters changed over the years? Oh, wow. So fraud fighters, when I started in fraud, fraud fighters were typically ex-policemen. It was very hard to get a job in fraud if you were right out of college like myself because everybody that had the jobs were from police force, right? They were former investigators that got into banking. It was very hard to break in. And fraud fighters were very good at understanding the psychology of fraud and very good at investigating fraud after it happened. But fraud fighters today are very different. Fraud fighters are younger people. They're very technologically savvy. They're forward thinking they are very comfortable around fast moving you know changes and being dynamic fraud fighters have become much more i would say much more of a technical type of person but also a person that has good communication skills so it's con it's gone from like being really investigative to almost being a semi like i would say almost a hacker yourself right somebody that understands technology moves quickly and and really fights the fraudsters toe-to-toe -to -toe in their same technical ways. Whoa. Uh, you know, um, we had a re recent chat with uh, one of my uh, friends who participated on the second episode that we uh, right now have two different um, e-commerce areas, um, pre-COVID and post-COVID. It's changed a lot, changed the game for e-commerce yeah. in general. But uh, when you describe for fraud fighters, Back, back there about like a uh, police investigator. And I don't believe someone right now who is working in police uh, decided to join fraud. Maybe it's someone, I don't know that anyone like that. But yeah, it, it is multiple generation already, I would say. It's very, yeah, it's very generational. Um, I did a an article on fraud fighters through the years. And, and that's what I found is it, it's gone from very investigative to very technical. Um, and I think it's just going further and further down that road. If you look at a lot of the new fraud companies that are being started by very young 
people in their 20s and 30s. The fraud companies are very technologically savvy, and these founders of these companies really are much more technical than the founders of fraud companies 10 or 15, 20 years ago, who are more, you know, maybe traditional business people. It's become much more software oriented. Got you. Yeah. Um, and um, what's the hardest things when you work with fraud prevention, like in, in general, in that industry? What's the hardest things? Um, the hardest thing to work in the fraud prevention industry is the communication side. Um, a lot of times, and you kind of brought this up earlier, maybe when you talked about trust and safety versus fraud is, a lot of times if you work in fraud, fraud is considered like a negative word and companies don't want to hear that word ever. So they want to you know they want to use other terms that kind of water it down and make it less um important so in fraud i've have always found myself needing to communicate the damage of fraud whether it's to victims to companies to people within the companies to the government to everybody i've always had to really communicate just how bad it is to get people to listen and do something about it to me, what comes second nature to maybe you and to me isn't necessarily the way other people think. So you always have to communicate that. That's always the hardest part because a lot of people want to ignore fraud or they want to be blind to it because they don't want to think it happens. That's, to me, the hardest part. What about you? Well, I believe I agree with you because... Um... When you try to descri describe or, I know, um, get some budget to improve something, you always try to show the possibilities. If we are not in place, what might cost to the company? Um, I know, simple attack or any uh, issues to the growing business who became popular and valuable for the frosters. What this means to, to the business? And uh, most of the time, Everyone happy when it's not there, but when it's happened, everyone starts to look and uh, say, oh, you know, you didn't do what we expected. But when you ask it for, a, I know, budget or extra person to help, mm. it's never like a easy conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So that and that goes to the communication of the problem to people, because you at your company may not experience it currently. So you have to bring in stories of other people that it's happened to or business experts outside the company to talk about it so that you can get that budget. But you're right. I, mean, I think there's a reluctance to invest in fraud until it's too late for a company, right? They will invest in fraud once the problem's already happened. To get them to invest before is enormously hard. So I think you're right. I think... I think you may have a better answer because I think getting the budget is actually the hardest thing that I that I found. You know, uh, I have a dream position for myself. It's calling chief out of office, um, and uh, you're supposed to be work only. I know depends on the holiday policy in the company. However, I saw the person somewhere in LinkedIn who changed his title from uh, fraud fighter to uh, revenue protector. And I found this oh. lovely title. You know, it's self-explaining. You can't argue with someone who say, 
I, I'm here to save your revenue. You can't say, oh, you know, yes. we don't have fraud, but everyone happy to hear about revenue. You're like trigger. <laughs> you know, that's a really good strategy because um, a lot of times I work in a, I have a fraud company, right? And we, we sell products. And a lot of times when we talk about saving money from fraud, people don't want to hear it. But when we talk about being able to automate and impact fewer of the good consumers by, by targeting the fraud better and letting the good customers go through, everybody wants to hear about that. So the way that you position fraud, whether it's revenue protector or you know grow your business safely, I think that's what people want to hear, not fraud, because it's a kind of a negative term and it implies you're just going to stop revenue for the company or not let the company engage in, in, in you know, business the way that they want to. I know you have a page that's calling frankonfraud.com and uh, I'm going to leave um, this one in the description to the episode, but what's motivated you to create this page and posted it uh, regularly, uh, some uh, articles and uh, information about fraud? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, maybe it's the same drive you had to create this podcast, right? But I'll tell you my story. It's, and I'd love to hear why you created this podcast. But I created the page because I had a lot of things to say. And I, when I was working for a company and I wanted to write an article for a company, they always wanted me to write the article so that I could sell their product and service not because I wanted to just talk about fraud and inform people of trends, of issues, of things that I saw, of recommendations. It always had to be tied to that company's product line. So what I wanted to do was create a, a blog that was just what I wanted to say. I could write about any company, any topic, any fraud type. It had nothing to do with selling anything. It was just exchanging information. So that was the main reason, but also I wanted to learn about fraud across the industry and across the world. And when I was forced into writing a lot about it, I kept learning more and more and more. So it's, to me, it's a way of me staying on top of fraud and educating myself, but then educating other people as well. So I was really a desire to just kind of do that. And I loved it. It, it can be quite challenging, though, to, to put so much time. So much time into it, but what, what about you? Why did you start a? Why did you start this podcast? What was uh, your driving um, force? You know, it's not some like uh, interesting story. Or um, when I speak with the people about in general their position and uh, how they uh, start working, uh, wherever they're working right now, so. I found uh, it quite interesting that uh, for the fraud prevention, it is, is a path usually contains a story in most of the time. I know some, uh, some of the guys who yeah. work in, in uh, software developers and they have cool stories as well. But for this uh, kind of career path, you have uh, clear education, you study, you know what the languages you expected to learn, how to work in specific areas. However, fraud is something uh, not everyone like expecting to work with. Uh, if you study accounting and you're right now working with fraud prevention, what drive you there? It's like 
far not far away it is different what you study and spend the years of your life to be good yeah of. yeah that's right yeah it's uh it's um accounting is yeah it i, th I agree with you i think um with fraud you don't necessarily there's no college program for fraud right you kind of you kind of fall into it right it's something that when you uh what did you start off in in fraud yourself or did you did you have a were you always in fraud when you when you graduated did you start working in fraud right uh, away no i'm not i started in um uh, uh customer support and uh yeah me yeah. too <laughs> and uh, after that after all this call from the customers who say I can't recognize charges and just like what's going on here, how it's actually work, and start to explore a bit. And it was a position opened, uh, interim position in the fraud department to um, manual review. This is how I start. Well, thirty years ago, that's exactly how I started. Right? I didn't. Uh, I was in customer service. My job started at five in the morning. So I had to go get get my car and get there by like four thirty, and they put a headset on, and I started answering calls on this credit card, you know, so customer support line, and people were complaining about, you know, not getting their bill or late payments, and all day long people were complaining. And one day somebody called and they said it was a fraudster calling, pretending to be a woman, but it was a man, and he was trying to get into this lady's account. And I was a customer service customer service rep, and I was like, I didn't know what to do, and I stood up and said, What should I do? This is a, there's a man here saying he's a woman, trying to get into this customer's account. And they said transfer to the fraud department, and I was like, the fraud department. Now that sounds like a job I want. And about a month later, there was a fraud position open. So just like you, I saw that and go, Wow, that's the job I want. And I told them, I'll work for free. I just want the job in six months. You can fire me, but you don't even have to pay me. I want this job so much. And that's how I think a lot of people get started. So we have a very similar, similar path. You have a crazy uh, motivation behind it. If you say, don't pay me, I'm happy to like <laughs> st start and learn something. Um, yeah, exactly. Same. Um, and you probably have touched this topic, but do you believe we need fraud institution or like special degree uh, to be part of fraud prevention? You really don't. It can't hurt, by the way. So um, if you want to go out and you want to get degrees that will be that will help you, you know, certainly getting a, a more technical degree in college can only help something in computer, you know, information systems, anything, you know, around the technical side can help you in fraud. But you don't have to have a degree to get a job in fraud. If you want to get special certifications, there are programs, certifications like the ACFE, Association of Certified Financial Examiners. That certification program is pretty extensive. If you get it, you're going to be in a network of lots of fraud professionals that are going to be able to help you get a job but you don't need to have any special degree to get in fraud you i'm not sure if you had a special degree to get in fraud i certainly didn't at all i was like a liberal arts major i had no experience in fraud 
I just had a desire. I had a, a desire to help people. And that's how I got my job. If you want to get a job in fraud, I would recommend that you try to use some of your, if you're working in customer service, for example, that you just use some of your experience helping customers with fraud and put it in your resume so that people see some of those types of things in your resume. So getting a job in fraud is, is not hard if you go in from an entry level. It gets harder if you're trying to do it at a more senior level, but if from an entry level, it's actually fairly easy and simple. Can't be agree more with you because it's uh, uh, one of our guests mentioned previously that it's very dynamic and changeable. Even if you learn something today, it's maybe not, not applicable tomorrow. So it's... That's right. Yeah. Fraud is changing day in and day out. So the type of person that's very flexible um, is going to be, is going to love fraud, right? Because every day you go into work, there's going to be something you didn't expect. Um, and, and maybe you get this too, but there's nothing like the thrill of finding a fraud that's happening and stopping it. There's no other feeling like it. When I, when I do that, like the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I get like these chills and imagine having a career where you always get that little rush. That's why I love fraud is that unexpected piece and putting a puzzle together. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know uh, opposite cases when uh, you look in some uh, huge loss and your heart stops working for a second. <laughs> when you figure out yeah, your heart jumps. Yeah, it's like a little rush. And if you work in fraud, you may get two or three of those a day. No other career has that sort of dynamic feeling. And that's why when you get a career in fraud, you're you're very unlikely to change your job because you're going to realize how fun it is. You as a like professional fraud fighter, have you ever been a victim of fraud? Oh yeah, for sure. I've been a victim of fraud several times. In fact, when I was coming out of college, before I even got a job, I was a victim of rental fraud in uh, here in California. Somebody, a landlord had told me to write her, she wasn't a landlord, she was a property manager and, and I rented an apartment and she had me write her checks every month for, I think it was $1,500 a month, but the rent was really only about $700 a month. So I was paying her an extra $750 and she was sending the, you know, the property manager the, the right rental amount. So I uh, found that out much later and she was eventually arrested, but I was a victim of right out of college, just several thousand in fraud. I was a victim um, of a scam, um, you know, during COVID. It was small, but I was still a victim of buying Lysol off the internet from a completely fraudulent website. And this is, I have a lot of experience in fraud. I don't know how I fell victim to it, but it's just because you work in fraud doesn't mean you can't get scammed and defrauded. Everybody can be a victim. I certainly was. Have Have you ever been a victim or have, have you ever experienced it like on, on a personal side? I would say I have a story um, that um, 
you know, I, I told my father, it's pretty hard to describe to him what's fraud prevention, but uh, I told him multiple stories that, you know, someone can call you, ask you some details. It's never true. If you someone call you from the bank, you can uh, drop off a call and call back to the bank and they transfer you to this person to prove that this exactly happened. And uh, yeah, my father told me that... Uh, um, I know it's maybe two years ago, but he called me, you know, something st strange happens. I got a um, um, push notification through my uh, bank application and oh, someone no. uh, straight away called me uh, and say, you know, it's, uh, I, I know, head of head of security from specific bank and uh, we need this uh -huh. uh, code to prove some uh, transfer money. Likely, uh, we were fortunate that uh, it wasn't any money on this account. Uh, it was like really small amount, like $50. Just that's it. It was yeah. like all the account. And uh, my father even forgot that it still exists. <laughs> and uh, oh, no. he said, yeah, yeah, that's the code. Um, and the money gone. And he just like, what's going on here? So he called me back and say, yeah, no, I just, you know, that it's uh, a working fraud. I, I told you so. Uh, very often, never say any codes, never confirm anything via phone. If you're not sure it's someone from the bank and you were fortunate that this was like small, small bank account. And the next day I had call from exactly the same number and uh, I start to play uh, like an actor. <laughs> okay. I just, yeah, sure. I, I have a code, but uh, is it okay? I have just like half a million on this account. It's going to be enough to protect me maybe i need to transfer some money the guy was so exciting on another side i just uh hey baby yeah, just like, <laughs> you know start to play uh this game a bit say yeah i just like transferred recently but if you keep waiting i'm selling my house it's going to be more money so probably we might, might need to wait until this money transfer to a safe account as the guy told me yeah no worries we can start from small transfer yeah i took like 10 minutes of discussion after this agent uh, no, <laughs> this was fun i like that you never do you like to watch those uh youtube videos of the scam stoppers that do the same thing they kind of rope them in and then they they gain access to their webcam and they turn the top, they turn around on the scammers and actually show their webcams and get them arrested. There's a lot of those YouTube YouTubers out there that do that now. I, will have a look I love to watch. I will have a look afterwards. So yeah, it's, it looks uh, yeah. and sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. So actually, I have the last question. Um, it's like, pretty short I, be, I believe i already know answer but i just want to make sure that's exactly what i'm expecting if you're able to back in time and um, options to choose any other professions are you still keep with the fraud prevention or you jump on some something else mm, i would never ever choose anything else i actually to be honest i i did have other careers i was a, a teacher uh, I was a Spanish teacher, believe it or not. I was taught for a year and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I really hated it. And so then I got into banking and I hated that too. When I got fraud, my fraud position, I knew right then and there I would never do any other thing. I loved it so much. 
And looking back, I would never change because the opportunities it gave me were so endless. I got to do a job I loved every day. I eventually got to travel the world. So I went, I was able to work as a fraud consultant here in the US. I spent two years in Canada, three years in the UK. I made trips to Australia, Japan. I went to Brazil, Mexico, all over the world traveling and helping people stop fraud. And I met so many great people and I did so many great things. There's no way I'd ever do any other job. And I think most people that get into fraud have the exact same experience as me. So it's a great career. Well, it's gr great to hear. And uh, we definitely, everyone in the fraud uh, industry, happy that we have you. Um, and I believe you influence a lot of the people who just like reading your um, blog or uh, have a chance to speak with you or watch of any of your presentations. Um, we're everyone happy that you're in, in, in that position. <laughs> oh, yeah. To me, I love to meet all the people I meet off of doing that blog. And, and like you, you probably meet a lot of people with the podcast. It's just so I'd recommend everybody is just, you know, reach out to other fraud fighters because you'll learn so much. I certainly do. So I really appreciate, um, you know, everybody that reaches out to me and, and a chance for me to meet them. You give a lot of advices uh, during this podcast, but uh, maybe you can give um, last advice for someone who are looking to start fraud as a, as a fraud prevention specialist, or maybe for someone who I know doing uh, like teaching someone just uh, here that it's possible to escape and uh, looking for these options. Yeah, so I think. The, my advice would be don't be afraid to take a leap of faith. Maybe go, you can even go backwards a little bit in your career. Maybe you'll make a little bit less money. But fraud is growing. There's going to be so many opportunities that if you take that, that leap of faith to get into that fraud position and you excel at it, when you look back in a year, two years, three years, you're going to be so much further along. Don't be afraid to make that leap of faith. And number two, my second piece of advice is reach out to people in the fraud prevention world who are, you know, maybe more senior people that have done it for a while and ask them to mentor you. I have worked with people who contacted me through LinkedIn and said, hey, I really want to get into fraud management. And I have worked and helped them. Maybe it takes a year or two years, but help them get into positions. In fact, I hired one, some lady had called me. She really wanted to get into fraud. And we talked for a year and she took all sorts of uh, classes and I eventually hired her. So don't be afraid to get a mentor that's in the industry that can help you and guide you to get that career. Those would be my two pieces of advice. Frank, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it was a nice talk and uh, hear your story and everything, how it's changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to our you're welcome. I enjoyed it. <laughs> to our listeners, thank you for turning in, and uh, please uh, visit uh, Frank page. I'm gonna leave uh, under description to this podcast. I personally found it very interesting, and uh, I always looking forward for new 
post and uh you know waiting for some some exciting uh <laughs> that's right or some scary yeah, story. I try. <laughs> there's always something exciting like you said there's always a story behind every fraud so that's what makes it uh, exciting to write about yeah uh, and um please everyone don't forget to uh, subscribe and follow this podcast and uh, share with your friends so i'm gonna say my favorite word at the end of the podcast that's cut <laughs>